Exodus 14. I believe I have a word from the Lord for us this morning, a word of encouragement. We want to talk about experiencing God uh, today. There's a number of ways you can, if you've, if you've ever heard of God, there's a number of ways you can learn about him. You can learn about him by other people talking about him. You know, we call that testimony. And I used to hear people talk about him and things he'd done. And you, you can learn from that. I think it's very encouraging. But one of the ways you can learn from God, learn about God is you can, um, you can buy his book. You know, God wrote a book called the Bible. And you can read the Bible and learn a lot about him through the Bible. But we don't, this morning we want to talk about getting to know God through crisis and experiencing God through crisis. Uh, we're going to talk about crisis today. Has anybody ever been in crisis? I don't mean like I was late for work. I, I mean crisis. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Bible has much to say about crisis. Matter of fact, it seems like it moves from crisis to crisis in the Bible. And uh, you'd probably agree with me that life is crisis. I have a lot of it in there. And uh, I want us to look this morning at the purpose of crisis. Is he in it? Is he behind this? Did this catch him off guard? Was he not paying attention? Is it, where's he at? And, and what's, what's going on? Well, that's the reason the Bible was written and the Spirit's given so that we can see behind things that are going on. And this morning, we want to look at experiencing God in crisis. Before we do that, I, w- I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this for a second. It's one of those deep philosophical questions. But since we all deal with it, we might as well answer. Here's the question. Will God put you in a place or allow you to be put in a place where he is your only hope so he can show you his goodness and be all you need? Would he let you be put in a crisis place or in a place where he is your only chance and hope in order to show you his goodness so he can be all you need? A lot of folks would disagree with that, but I I think he'll do it. I think he'll let things happen so he can show us himself strong. Let's look at Exodus chapter 14, just one of the many things that happened. Exodus chapter 14. You're familiar with this? Uh, God's people were in in the land of Egypt. They were in bondage. They were under the control of an evil taskmaster. He calls a guy one day, a guy who was an absolute failure. He'd failed in life and he got a job on his, with his dead-in-law, tending sheep. And he said, I'm I'm going to get my people. I'm sending you. Guy's name was Moses. He sends Moses back. And so this shepherd walks into the most powerful man in the world and says, I'm taking all your slaves, two million. And I want your gold too. And we're leaving. Well, that didn't go over so good. So God had to show himself mighty and he sent 10 bad situations, 10 plagues. Of course, the 10th was the most terrible. And finally, Pharaoh said, get them out of here and send the gold with them. So the people are very excited because God has intervened in their lives and they've had a hard life and now God's intervened and they got it. All of a sudden they got this great future and the Bible says they go out and, and this is a new day for them and praise the Lord, hallelujah, everything's great. And then on the road to glory, something unexpected happens. You ever had anything unexpected happen to you? It's called life. On the road to glory, something unusual happens. Exodus 14, let's look in verse eight. The Bible says this. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He pursued the children of Israel. The children of Israel went out with boldness. See the word boldness, it's better translated confidence, excitement. They're so excited. God has finally broken through in my life and great things are happening. Verse nine, so the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses, chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army overtook them camping by the sea. I can't pronounce those names because I didn't go to seminary. they, They take off and they leave. And all of a sudden on this journey, and you, you got to understand, this, this man is a shepherd. 
He's not trained. And he's got two. You ever tried to move two million people? And they got women and children. And, and so they're moving and, and they're headed in the right direction. But all of a sudden they're up against this uh, sea. And if, you, if you're familiar with the terrain, you've got mountain, impassable mountains on both sides. They're pinched in this little place, the sea, and they're camping. And, uh, you know, a little, little bump with this sea here, but we'll get through it. And then all of a sudden, something crazy happens. And the Bible said, uh, verse uh, 11, they said, to, verse 10, let's read verse 10. Pharaoh drew near the children of Israel, lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were terrified. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? What's the next word right there? Why? You ever been there? I mean, everything was going great. You're excited. And then all of a sudden something unexpected happens. And what's the first thing we cry out? Why are, and really said, why are you letting this happen in my life? This was unplanned. I've been through this 19,000 times. If, you, if you're older than, say, three months, you've been through it also. But the reaction was not trust God. The reaction was terror. And why is this going on? Surely God could have prevented this. I read in the Bible, God can do anything. I saw the disciples in a storm one night, scared spitless. And Jesus just stood up and said, knock it off. And the storm went silent, which tells me he could stop every problem in my life if he wanted to. So why didn't he do it? Why does he let this garbage go on? Well, there's a lot after the why in here, so let's find out. Why are you letting this go on? And then verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see. The word see means experience the salvation of God, which he will accomplish for you today. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I love the, word, the Hebrew word hold your peace means shut up. You, shall, you will see God work and you will, it literally means be quiet. You'll, you'll quit complaining. You're fixing to see God do something. The Lord said to Moses, why are you talking to me? I've told you what to do. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the water. Let's look down at verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Made the sea into dry land. The waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters were a wall on one side, a wall on the other side. Well, the Egyptians saw that. They chased them right down into the valley. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. It came to pass in the morning watch. The Lord looked down on the arm of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. He troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. I guess so. The Egyptians recognized, let us flee from the face of Israel. The Lord is fighting for them. Verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, now stretch out your hand back over the sea. The waters may come back upon the Egyptians, their chariots, their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were running into it. They turned around to run, but they couldn't get away. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, the army of Pharaoh came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. The children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall to them on their right and left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. I don't understand this. Did he not know this was coming? 
he, he said, I'm bringing my people out. I want to take them to a promised land. So he brings them out. What's all this about? All of a sudden we got to stop and deal with this. And, and could not the God who brought them out have just said, don't chase my people. Yeah. Well, who set this up? Well, what's this all about? Why would he set this mess up and let these people be terrified and, and, and uh, go through all this rigmarole? Besides, this just delayed the trip. You know, they, and they cried out and, and the Bible's very clear here. This is the hand of God. He set them up. He put them in a mess. He brought them into this place of crisis. And can you, there can't be but one reason, can there? Well, it's the only reason. He put them in that mess for one reason, to show himself strong on their behalf, they knew about God. They'd read about him. They had his book, but they knew him different now, didn't they? They knew him by experience. They'd had an experience with him that changed everything. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the, the whole exit, exodus means going out, exit. The whole exodus was like this. Through the whole exodus, taking them to where they were going, did he not constantly set them up to where they had to have him, the deliverance at the Red Sea. They went a little bit further. You got to remember, you take 2 million people, women and children out, and they didn't carry anything to eat. He set them up to starve. And they cried out to him and he did what? Sent the bread from heaven. They got to another place where they were thirsty. They had nothing to drink. They cried out to him. He worked a miracle and opened the rock so that water came. What's the whole story of the Exodus? He kept, was he leading them? Did he lead them into place after place after place after place where they could not help themselves? Nobody could help them. He alone could be their source. Is that the story of the Exodus? What's the Bible saying in 1 Corinthians 6? These are your examples. Listen, the Exodus is a physical picture of our walk with Jesus. And bringing them, them out and always putting us in a place where if he don't come through, I'm sunk so I can experience him. What is the hardest thing God did in the Exodus? Maybe you've never seen this before. All across that journey, they kept saying, did we not have food to eat in Egypt? Did the government not provide for us in Egypt? The hardest thing he ever did was to break them off of government care so they could trust God alone. Even after 40 years, they were still saying, we had flesh to eat in Egypt. We were taken care of. They said, we had leeks and mandrakes. Who wants to live on garbage like that when you can be feeding manna from heaven? But to, to get them to depend totally on him, he took them on this journey. And this is a physical picture. And it, listen, where'd they go? People said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I didn't know it was going to be this rough. What's this book for? What is the exodus? Did they not go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis? If, if your goal is to follow Jesus and stay out of crisis, you've got the wrong Jesus. Everybody in this book that followed Jesus went from crisis to crisis to crisis. But the purpose of the crisis was not because God was busy not paying attention. It was to prove himself strong in every crisis. It was to lead them from experience to experience to experience to experience, and they could see his goodness. That, this is the message not only of the Exodus, it's the whole message of the Bible. That, that it, it's just storm after storm after storm. The disciples, Jesus said, follow me. Where did he take them? One stinking mess right after another. And, and the whole purpose, you know, what, it, what is the entire message of the Bible? Not comfortable life. What's the whole message of the Bible? I want you to get to know me personally. 
I created you to have a personal relationship with me. That is the message of the Bible. And the crises in the Bible always led me to know, led them to know him greater. Now, I learned about God in school a little bit. Most of what I learned in school was not good. I've heard other people talk about him, but I have gotten to know God personally as a friend and as a father, but most of it didn't come from listening to a CD. It came through experience in crisis. Crisis is where we get to know him at. All right, let me uh, point you to something here. If you follow the people in the Bible, he, he had to be everything to them in the Exodus. He was everything they had, everything they needed. All right, let me talk to you about my nation for just a minute, current America. Um, I, I, this preacher shouldn't be saying this, but we really, as a nation, I'm not being kind of critical, we, we really don't need God in our nation right now. Some people think we do, but do we really need him right now? Let, let me just point this out. We really don't need him to provide for us. I mean, we've built the greatest industry on earth. Uh, we, we've uh, mastered farming. We, we, we can provide for ourselves. And even the person who just absolutely won't go to work, the government's going to take care of you. So we really don't need to look to God because America can provide for our own. Uh, number two, do we really need him for our health today? No. I mean, we've built a health care system. If you just eat like a pig and don't exercise, we'll keep you alive till you're 80 through medicine. I'm not being unkind. We just don't really need God. I can always run to my doctor instead of running to God. There's nothing wrong with doctors. I love doctors. Number three, do we really need him for protection? We got a high-tech military flat. Zappy, you come over here. Don't be messing with us. We've got high-tech law enforcement and push come to shove. I'll just carry my own pistol. I mean, we really, we're the most, we've got our own protect. We can protect ourselves. And uh, we really don't need him for wisdom because we've got an educational system now. We've got, we are drooling over our technology and technology has brought the knowledge of the world right to my laptop. I used to work for IBM when I was in college. I guarded those, I didn't guard them, I did guard them. I guarded those massive banks of computers in IBM's headquarters in Charlotte. The whole thing fit in my laptop now. I've got the whole world at my fingertips. I don't need God for wisdom. And should you really get in a pinch in your marriage or something, you can always go call a Christ, counselor. We have counselors galore. So we really don't need him to tell us how to live. We've got books and technology. We really don't need him for happiness either. My goodness. At the things we've come up with to enjoy our lives. Bowling is so 1950s now. <laughs> My point is we really don't... Would you not agree with me that this is, is this not great America that we have built? And we can really take care of ourselves. And then along comes a little bug that you can't even see across the water and shakes our system that we had such confidence in. And we're, we're teetering right now. And uh, let me tell you what this little bug has done. It has revealed our vulnerability. I mean, we thought we could handle this deal. We, as a nation, we got it. I can always call the doctor. I can call the counselor. I can, I can, call, my, I can call my congressman. I can call Sheriff Johnson. I can call somebody. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that little old something we can't even see comes along and absolutely paralyzes this nation. And we're finding out, maybe we, maybe we hadn't built what we thought we had here. And uh, sort of put the brakes on us a little bit. Now, here's my question. Why would God let this happen? Why would he let anything happen? How many of you think that the living God is big enough to stop a bug from jumping the water? So how come he didn't do it? 
He could have stopped it over there. Why didn't he stop everything? Does he not want me to enjoy my life? Why, why, do, why do I get fat when I eat wrong? I, he could stop. He can stop. Cal, he can stop everything. Why does stuff happen like this? Well, I'm not a prophet like some people are, but let me tell you what I do know. I do know him and I know the Bible. Three things I've learned from the Bible. Number one, he is good. You, the goodness of God will never be measured this side of glory. He is good. Number two, he created me and you so that he could be everything we need. His ultimate goal was so that we could, he could be everything to us. Scripture teaches that in numerous places. I love this one. He opens his hand and satisfies every desire. He, he, he created us so that he could be everything to us. Psalm 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself in who? In the Lord. In the Lord. And he'll give you even the desires of your heart. I've heard people say, well, now God won't meet you once, but he will, he will meet your needs. Go buy you a new Bible. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. He, 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 he created us to be everything. He's not the guy you call right before you die so you can go to heaven. He is the source of all life. And he wants to be everything. And the third thing I've learned is this. He delights in being God to us. He... he he just, he, I don't know, this is the grace of God. He delights in being everything to his people. All right, I had three children. I loved them. And I, I never was angry about having to provide or, or anything for my children. I, I provided for them, gave them home. I, I, I spent time with, I just wanted, I blessed my children. I, ne, I never begrudged it. I delighted in it. If I'd have seen, if one morning one of my kids had, a guy, say a friend of mine had come up and said, you know, you, you, son came by my house today and pulled in and asked for lunch money so we could have something to eat today. I, that would bother me. Why would my son go ask somebody else for lunch money? I want him to ask me. I'd be glad to give it to him. I, I didn't say, well, good. I didn't have to provide for him. I want to provide for him. You know, if, if somebody was, was harassing one of my children and they went and asked one of my neighbors to look after him, I'd say, well, why didn't you come to me? I want to be everything to my children. God created us to provide for us, to be everything we need. And I do know the Bible teaches that. All right, now here's, my, here's where I'm fixing to get into theological trouble with some folks, but as I said, I'm a trained truck driver, so work with me here. What's the only way God can bring us to the point to where he's everything we need? What's the only way he can do it? Kick everything out from underneath us that we're leaning on except him. The only way he can bring us to the point to where he's everything we need is to kick everything out from underneath us except himself. And that's what the Exodus is. That's, uh, there's no doubt he put them in that place. And the Bible said he hardened Pharaoh's heart to go after him. So he makes Pharaoh go after him, puts them in a place they can't help themselves so he can show himself strong. And, and, the, and over and over he did that. That's why he kicks out from underneath us everything we're dependent on except him. And it's not, it's not so we'll fall, it's so we'll fall on him. And so he can, they, they can see him and get to know him personally in a better way like that. And uh, th this is, I know this is scriptural. This is, this is from scripture. Let me tell you something. God really is at work today. I, I know he is. We should, somebody should write a song that goes like this. Even when I don't see it, he's working. He really is. You know, I know he is because the Bible's true. 
And we think when, when everything's going good, he's working. How do you know he's not working when everything's not going good? How do you know these interruptions and these crazy things that happen? Now, let me, let me be very clear here. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God doesn't make people sick. God heals people. God doesn't steal people's money. The thief steals. I don't understand all that, but I know this. He is, he is uh, what's the word? He is involved with his children. I've always propped up on Philippians 2.13. God is at work in you to will and work for his perfect will and his good pleasure. I don't have to feel anything. I just know this. Nothing happens in my life that his hand is not on. And he, he's, he's not working in, the Bible doesn't say God is working in you so you can float through life on flowery beds of ease. It doesn't say God is working in you to make life comfortable. God is working in you for his perfect will and to bring you to a place of his good place, perfect will. And if that means putting me up against the Red Sea where he's my only hope and letting an enemy come after me so he can show himself strong, he's working. He's, do, he's right in the middle of it right there. And he's, he's working in what's going on. Now, in case you're wondering what the perfect will of God is for your life, it's not just that you go to heaven. His perfect will is revealed in the eight names he gave himself. When he said, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah said, can you, I am the Lord who saves you. Don't you go anywhere else for your salvation except the cross. And then he said, I am Jehovah said, can you, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You cannot change your life. I'm the only one who can make you like my son. I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the Lord, your peace. You know, you're not supposed to find your peace in a bottle, a pill, a refuge up in Montana. I am your peace in the middle of the storm. Come to me for that. Jehovah Roy, I am your helper. Why would you, uh, God designed government to protect alone. The only orchestration he ever gave government was to protect. He is our provider. And then he said, I am Jehovah what? I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Yeri, the God who provides. I'm the God who provides for you. I am Jehovah Nissi. I am the Lord who fights your battles. And then the great one, Jehovah Roe, I am the Lord your shepherd. I order your steps. I protect you. His, God's will for your life is to be everything you need. What's the only way he can get us to enjoy that and experience it? Take away everything we depend on except him. And that creates a moment of crisis because think, man, I, I was all propped up on this and all of a sudden it's gone now. And that's who he is. It was, and it's in crisis that we learn to experience him. You will never get to know God except through crisis. Closer like that. I don't want to show you something in scripture. Here's what changed in Exodus when they got to know him. All right, you got these people. They've heard of God. They've been taught about him. And uh, he's leading them out. They're all excited. And all of a sudden they go into this. We didn't plan on this. And this wasn't a bump in the road. Their children were fixing to die. I mean, they were at a crisis. They were fixing to be destroyed. But God shows his mighty arm and he brings them through. What are the three things that happened to them at the end of this? Look with me in Exodus 14. Exodus 14 said, let's read verse 30 again. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. I just think it's hilarious. He set them up. He set them up. You say, well, does that mean he brought this crisis into their lives? Answer is, yep. He sure did. The Bible said he put it in that army's heart to go after his people and hurt them. And he brought catastrophe in their lives. Now, I'm not saying he always brings catastrophe, 
The enemy of our souls does, but he brought it that day and he brought it in their lives so he could deliver them and they could experience his goodness. Let's learn about God from the Bible. All right, what happened after they experienced him in verse 31? Thus, Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. See the word so, what's the word so mean? As a result of God's mighty hand being extended, three things happened. Number one, the people feared the Lord. I thought they feared him before this. Well, now you, you got to understand the biblical word fear here doesn't mean scared of him. It's, it, our word would be honor or respect. It would be, uh, here's, the, here's the difference. Here's the, let me explain it like this. They believed in God because their parents had taught them about him. They had the Torah. They believed in God. But after this, guess what they said? We know he's real now. I've seen him. I've experienced him. And they feared him, Hebrew word feared, like never before. I believed in God from the time I was a child. I didn't, I didn't obey him. I didn't honor him because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And then I got saved. And then I went to school and I learned about God. But I'm going to tell you something. He is real to me because I have experienced him in the storms. I have seen what they saw. Then crisis will bring you from a place to where you believe in God and you've heard about him to you say, there ain't no way you could talk me out of him now. I, I've seen his hand. I've watched him and you'll fear him like you've never feared him before. And then I love this one. What else did they do? Verse 31, thus Israel saw the great work. So the people feared the Lord and they what? They began to believe in God. This experience built a faith in them. You see, you can have faith in God because of what the Bible says, or you can have faith in God because you've seen him come through and you know he'll, he'll take care of me. There's a faith that comes by experience. Now, faith can come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it was, I, I watch young people new to the faith and they struggle to believe God. And the reason I can believe God so much better than they can is not because I'm smarter. God forbid. When you've been through stuff like this and you've seen him come through, it's just easy to believe him because you've got a faith that's born out of experience. You know, when you, you're in a financial crisis and he's come through so many times, the next one comes up, you just go, watch what he does. Watch him, right? Watch this. Or you've got a crisis or anything comes up, you just go, God will take care of it. And people say, how can you believe him that easy? Well, I've done it 39 times before. And because they saw him do something, experience explodes faith. And they, because they went through this, they believed God. And that, you know, some of their children were born later and they got to the next crisis and the kids say, is God going to take care of us? And the parents would say, you watch. He took care of us back there. He'll take care of us here. And experiences created such a faith. They could believe God so much easier. That's why it's important for older people. Now you, you don't experience God just because you're old. A lot of old people haven't seen nothing. But those that have experienced God, it's important that they share their stories with people and say, he's done this and he'll do it again. But let me show you the, the greatest part. And I enjoy this so much. The next verse, 15. The, what's then mean? First word in chapter 15 is then. What does then mean? After God got, after we were in a mess, after we were scared for our lives, after we were in a crisis and God came through, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. What do you do after God brings you through a crisis? What's your natural response? Worship. You begin to worship God like you've never worshiped him before. And, and they, 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 had, they said, we have, we have seen God now. And we believe God will take care of us now because he did it. And now we want to praise him and worship him because of what he did. I love the song. That, and the song was written by Moses. I will sing to the Lord for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Watch verse two. 
The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. Where'd that come from? They didn't just sing a song somebody wrote. What were they singing? God has come through for me. He's my God. He's my strength. Guess why they could sing like that? They had experienced it. You can worship out of obligation. You can worship God and praise him because you're supposed to. That's fine. It's a great place to start. Number two, you can worship God because you like the music and it's got a good beat and you get a good feeling. That's cool. But if you ever reach a place where you worship God out of crisis experience, you'll worship him like never before. You will sing, he, he is my God. He will not fail us. And you, you just, and out, out of your heart it pours because I've been there. I have been through this. And it, worship is a response to the crisis he brings us through. And this was just such a, it just flowed out of their lives by experience. And it was just so different. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be very honest with you. I hate crisis. I, I wish every morning I woke up, the sun was shining and I felt good. And my, I wish my whole wheat toast didn't burn because I'm not paying attention. And, and I wish everybody was nice. And I wish always my health was good. And I wish the fish always bit and the people would stop biting. And I, I just wish life were perfect. I would take it. There's only one way to get to a life like that. You got to take a ride in the back of a black Cadillac station wagon. That's the only way you find a life like that. We go from crisis to crisis to crisis in life. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big. But I'm going to tell you something. Do you not believe that this great God we serve could knock this mess off? You don't, you don't believe he could just speak? I mean, that, that ball of fire lighting the earth right now, it's out there because he spoke it. Could he not just speak into our lives and everything become perfect? Boom, just like that. Why didn't he do it? I'm going to say it again. Are you ready? His goal has never been for me to be comfortable. His goal has always been to bring a people to himself that will know him personally and experience him. And much as I dislike crisis, I love the fruit of it. I love the result. I saw my buddy, Ken Helzer, pass me on the road one day with, and he pulled over. We were talking and I said, where you been? He said, my wife's got me going to the gym now. I go to the gym and I exercise. I said, do you like going to the gym? He said, no. And then he said, Ken always got to think before he speaks. He said, but I love the fruit of it. I think they had a sign over the gym and it said this, no pain, no gain. Did y'all ever seen that? I got one like that. No pain, wonderful. That's fine by me. You mean to put the Bible in four words? No pain, no gain. You should write a sign of it. I do not like crisis, but I love the fruit of crisis. Wouldn't responded to rightly. I love what he does. We've got we've to readjust our thinking. If you're going to stay on this planet, and I just, I just, I'm not a prophet. A lot of these people are prophesying about Corolla and all, Corona and all this stuff. And, uh, but I will say this about Corona. This is probably a foretaste of things to come if the Bible's true. If the Bible's true. Okay, I'm done prophesying. But I will, I will say this. We need to readjust the way we think about life from here till the second coming of Jesus. Instead of my goal being comfortable, my goal should be that a people would get to know their God Amen. and get to experience Him and know Him personally. And there's nothing that will bring you to know Him personally like difficulty. Not to destroy, but to bring me to Him. I... Uh, I just, I see this all over in people's lives everywhere we go right now. All right, you ready for me to say it? 
You know, my responsibility is the people that God has given me here. He told me to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Well, most of the people that come to my church, their goal in life is a comfortable life. That's human nature, guys. And they want me to help them find a comfortable life. But God did not say, go ye into all the world and make comfortable people. This is better preaching than y'all amen right now. God didn't say go into the world and make comfortable people. He said go into the world and make disciples. And a disciple is somebody who knows God personally. And the way you get to know God is by going through things. And, and him showing himself strong. It's not about enduring the things. It's about his strength and us going, that was him right there. That was him right there. I want to quit by telling you a story. I'm, uh, I'm reading, you know, preachers read a lot. A lot of preachers read religious books. I'm reading Randy Travis's biography right now, Forever, Ever, Amen. It's one of the great, I read spiritual books like that. So I'm reading Randy's biography right now and I'm enjoying it. And uh, I, I, I love country music and I love his. And plus I had an interest in Randy because he was raised on a horse farm right behind the first, my little country church from years ago. And so I was in the community there and he was soaring in Nashville in the 1980s when I was pastoring in the country there. And I did have a question I wondered about. Right there, you could see his house from a little general store, which was at the end of our little Deep Springs Church Road there. And a man in my church ran that store. And I went up there one day and I had a sign on the store and it said, Randy Travis broke in here. And I said, Benton, is that true? Randy broke in here? He said, I have no idea. He said, but all these country music fans, they drive down here to see the house he was raised in and they love to come have their picture took beside this sign right here. And while they're here, they buy stuff from my store. So I'm leaving sign up here. I did read the book. I did find out he did break in that store years ago. But uh, ran in this story, he said this. He said, uh, I always believed in God because my mama took me to the little Baptist church when I was a kid there in our community. And he said, but I skyrocketed to fame like few people ever did. And he said, I became a multimillionaire. Uh, I became the uh, singer of the year several years in a row. Still uh, had the largest attendance at a country music concert in, in history. And he said, I was just famous. I was wealthy. I had everything. And he said, I'm just an old country boy from Marshville. And, and he said, during that time, he said, I, never, I didn't need God. So I didn't think about him much. And as fate would have it, a turn of events occurred where some things happened in his life. And uh, he lost all of his money through some dishonest dealings. You know, that happens to a lot of famous people who just sign rewrites away. And he lost all of his money. Uh, lost his fame. You know, you, as Alan Jackson wrote in a song, he started drinking and took some things that messed up his thinking. And you get arrested in the middle of the road, drunk, naked, that, that tends to dent your ticket sales. Sort of brought him down a notch there. And then had a debilitating stroke that left him almost dead. And he said, all of a sudden, my world, and just, just like that, it went, I, was the, I was at the top and I found myself at the bottom. And matter of fact, he, he, was, he was dying. And a team of doctors called his wife in and said to her, uh, we've done all we can and you need to make a decision. We think it's time for you to let him go and just go ahead and pull the plug. Said, we can't help him anymore. And she said, could I have a minute to, to just go pray in the room? They said, well, fine. You take all the time you need. So his wife went in there. He's laying in the bed. They'd already taken the top of his skull off to, because his brain was swelling. And uh, she said, you know, he's in a coma. He couldn't communicate. And she said, I just took his hand and said, Randy, uh, I've got to know, do you, do you want to keep fighting or is it time to go on? And she said, of course, you couldn't speak. And she said, after a little bit, said one tear ran out of the corner of his eye and ran down and went in his ear. And she said, I knew he's in there. 
he heard me. And she said, I went back and told the doctor, said, I, I, we're going to fight for his life. Said, if y'all can't do it, give me some doctors at will. They said, no, we're with you. And so they began to fight for his life and pulled him back out. And uh, slowly he came back out of that thing and regained conscious, consciousness. And, and three years of rehab, you know, lost a fourth of his body weight and just three years of rehab and struggled back and uh, found God in the process. And my friend James Robinson that we partner with in missions, he was supposed to be here this next weekend for our men's conference that we've canceled. Randy was on James Robinson's TV show not long ago and I was fascinated by what he said. He said, when I was at the top of the stack, I didn't need God much, but when my world crumbled and I got to the very bottom to where I lost all my money, lost my reputation, lost my health, couldn't even speak. He said, when I got to the point to where God was all I had, that's where I discovered God was all I needed. And he said, I wouldn't go back for anything. Wouldn't change it for anything. And uh, now, now let me tell you something. God didn't steal his money because he's not a thief. God didn't give him a stroke because God don't give strokes. God's in the salvaging business, not the wrecking business. But what that man found was when I got to the point like the children of Israel, when he was all I had, I found out that was all I needed right there. And uh, I love the statement. And then not long ago, all of his friends had a big bash out there in Nashville. All the country musicians came together and fans and everything. And, and they sang his songs for a night, had a big glad you made it back and all that stuff out there. And at the very end, he surprised them. And he got up on the stage himself. You know, he never has fully recovered. Got up on the stage himself and took the microphone and said, I want to, I want to sing. He, he, he can't talk well yet. So I want to sing. Well, you know, he hadn't sung a song in three years. And, uh, he didn't sing digging up bones or on the other hand or anything like that. He sang amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, <clears throat> I've never been through that, but there's not a person in this room or watching on TV, watching online that hadn't been through something. And when you go through things, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to get bitter about it and you're going to ask why and you're going to be angry or you're going to silence your heart and say thy will be done and if you'll let him he'll bring you through this thing and on the other side you're going to be singing amazing grace how sweet the sound we need to get over this thing that life is about comfort life is about getting to know God personally by experience through the difficult times and seeing his hand mighty Lord Jesus I just want to praise you and thank you for your word thank you so much of, of your promise that when we're saying where is he at why is this going on? I thought the whole purpose of creation was for me to be comfortable. I thought the world was created so I could enjoy my life in comfort. We want to reorient our thinking back to your word that says the whole purpose of creation was to get to know God as our father, our friend, our provider, our banner, our protector, our sanctifier, our healer, our deliverer, our shepherd. The goal of life is to get to know you for everything. And I thank you and praise you that if you have to shake the land or shake our personal lives, and that brings us to know you personally so that we worship like we've never worshiped before. We have a faith that is unshakable. We know that you're real because of what we've been through. We trust you for that. So be it. The main thing is let Jesus come to us personally. And I just praise you and bless you that we will reorient our lives to the word instead of comfort and give you all the praise and glory for that. Thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. Thank you that the Lord is good and his mercy faileth not. 
I trust you for that. Thank you that you are our refuge and our strength forever. And instead of looking for the next comfortable place, I trust you that we will look for the next revelation of God's goodness in our lives. Let Jesus be praised. In his precious name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you for being with us today. Go enjoy your crises life. We love you. Uh, not with us now. We miss everybody. I, I look forward to the time we can all get back together again here. But as I said, you behave till you get back and pray, pray, pray. Not so much bring it back to what it used to be. Let's try this prayer right here. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. I love you. Look forward to seeing you again. In Jesus' precious name, amen.